Welcome to the Cracked Pots podcast. I'm Pastor Rebecca. And I'm Pastor Chad. And our text this past weekend, again, we are very sorry. We um, had some issues with the live stream, so we don't have a recording of the sermon. But the text for this past week was the uh, Samaritan woman at the well. And Pastor Chad was preaching on it. Is there... Anything in addition to your sermon you kind of were looking at and thinking, I should talk about this, but I can't talk about it in a sermon? Nope. Nope. No. <laughs> Nothing at all. I, so I think, I think one of the challenges with this text um, is there's so much in there. Um, and oftentimes the text goes into deep dives on baptism um, because of all the references of living water and you know, in the initial conversation, there is no um, understanding from the woman on baptism. It just all of a sudden is, um, just all of a sudden it's, you know, she has this, you can kind of see her coming along as Jesus starts talking, and she begins to understand that they're not just talking about water from the well that you drink, right. or bathe in, or whatever, that there's a, there's a deeper understanding. Um, and I, I didn't reference a whole lot of baptism stuff in the text this this week. Um, you know what's again, strange is that I've never really viewed that particular text as a baptism text. I've viewed the previous text, the Nicodemus text in um, chapter 3, as, you know, being born from above, that kind of stuff, um, as as sort of a baptismal type of text, but I don't know that I've ever really contemplated the baptismal aspect of the woman at the well part. thought it had more, just personally, you know, I always, whenever I, I that whole living water part, just more of the, the eternal nature of, of your spiritual life kind of thing, not necessarily baptism in particular. Yeah, yeah, and I, again, it's, there's so much I don't know if I don't know if people non pastory people understand and probably not the 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 sitting down and studying a text and going, okay, so now what do I do with it? And wrestling and going, okay, so you know, there's this aspect of the text and there's this because there's never what's helpful information in your 15-minute sermon. Well, and, and what direction do you go? You know, I mean, there are very few texts that you open up, you read the text, you go, that's it. That's the direction, and there is only one direction to go. Because there's so many nuances, and each nuance to a text brings in another layer of something that opens up another layer of... Um, so think of, think of a freeway system. You know, there are so many on-ramps and off-ramps. It's not just a straight road. Well, maybe in the Midwest, where it's just a straight road or like North Dakota. So it, it's not the movie... I-80's pretty straight. Yeah. So, I mean, if you've, if you've seen the movie Fargo uh, and they're driving along the road in North Dakota and it's just straight and there's nothing there, that is not scripture. No. That is not scripture. Scripture is... There's a road and there's an off-ramp and an on-ramp and there's eight lanes of highway and there's and and where do I go? What how do I want to navigate this text? What on-ramps do I want to take? What off-ramps do I want to take? And 
You know, especially in texts like this week, it was a long reading. So it's a long story. And actually, you know, it kind of cuts off part of the story, too. It doesn't go the whole way through it. Uh, it gets most of it. Um, but there, yeah, there's, there's a whole other conversation that then goes on. And yeah. then she come, you know, then the people like come and meet him. And yeah. 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 So, so there's, there's just so many nuances and, and to try and go, okay, this is where we're going. Well, this is where I feel called to go this week. Well, and, and John's gospel also is so symbolic um, because everything that happens in John's gospel usually has some sort of a symbolic meaning and understanding. So you spent a lot of time talking about, um, you know, the heat of the day and whatever because it was noon and how she was probably an outcast, but also recognizing there's symbolism in the fact that um, things like night and day means something in John's gospel because yeah. in the previous text, um, which is the Nicodemus text, who Nicodemus was a Pharisee who came to Jesus at night under the shroud of darkness. Shh. Yes. yes. Um, versus meeting the woman at the well in the middle of the day. In the light of day. In the light of day. Yeah. So, so there are those nuances that don't always get brought out in a sermon because Again, it's like, is, is it going to actually relate to the point I'm making here? And, you know, and, and just the symbolism of all of those kinds of things and how, you know, it's the night of, you know, it's the, it's, it's the darkness of night for Nicodemus, who's the Pharisee. It's under this shroud of darkness, this secrecy versus, you know, and, and the Pharisees are the in people. You know, it's the, these are the people that are part of the in crowd so to speak. And this is all happening under this shroud of darkness. And actually, if you ever decide, you know, to, to kind of follow the Nicodemus element of that story, it's kind of interesting as well throughout the Gospel of John. But, and then you compare and contrast it with the Samaritan woman, this, this person who is kind of the exact opposite of a Pharisee in every possible way. And even when they meet, is an exact opposite. Instead of under the shroud of darkness, it's in the heat in the middle of the day at noon. And, you know, out there in the open and, and just this completely different encounter. And I always remind people too, you know, you're talking about the well being a, um, uh, you know, sort of the meeting place. In the biblical text, wells are not just meeting places socially, they're also romantic meeting places. Um, Jacob met Rachel, Moses met Zipporah. I mean, um, this is, you know, these it's are... It's the hub. Yeah. It's, it's, so it's the, um, it's the watering hole. Yes. In today's ties, you know, the local dive bar, the watering hole. Yes. Yes. Um, this was where if you wanted to meet women, you went to the well. And so there's that aspect of it too, of not only, so, so the disciples come upon Jesus talking to a woman at the well, and of course this woman with her kind of sketch background that we aren't real sure what exactly that background is, but with, you know, all the different husbands and everything. But, you know, you just imagine this, okay, so Jesus in the singles bar talking to the local <laughs> Right, you which know. is scandalous because we can't talk about that, right? Right. So, oh man. So we well, don't we don't know that there's nowhere in scripture that it says Jesus has any romantic encounters. No, like it's not there. Now, 
does that, I'm not even gonna, I'm not even gonna answer the question, I'm just gonna ask the question. Does that mean Jesus, in his entire lifetime, had no romantic encounters? Who knows? Like, again, we don't know, it's not in scripture, I'm not gonna take a guess, because um, it just gets me in trouble. It also doesn't um, matter. And it doesn't, right, it doesn't it matter. It ultimately Although, doesn't matter. Well, okay, yes, it does to I was gonna say, degree. I think it does, I think it does, because I think it, it puts in perspective you know, our relationships and the importance of, of relationships. This is true. But again, aside of scripture, we don't know. But yeah, I, I, there's, there's just so many layers. And this, this lectionary cycle, once we get started here in a few weeks, um, well, this, this lectionary year is the year where we'll eventually get to John's gospel. Um, I do not like John's gospel. And I know, John's I know. John's gospel. Yeah, I, I don't know that Pastor Rebecca. Pastor Rebecca and I are on the same page on a lot of things. Um, books of the Bible that we adore are not one of them. Um, the books that she loves, I hate. The books that I love, she likes or tolerates, but isn't doesn't have a love affair with them the way I do. I, I will admit, with John's Gospel, though, that the the farewell discourse is a bit long. That 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 so gets is, old. So this is why I don't. There's there's several reasons I don't like John's Gospel, and part of it, the Revised Common Lectionary ruins it for me, because the Revised Common Lectionary will take a delve into bread of life, and you're preaching on bread of life. What is it for like five weeks? Yeah, it, it, it's and it's like I love carbs and I love bread, but I don't need five straight weeks of bread of life. So, so the Revised Common Lectionary is one of the reasons I don't like John's Gospel. And the other thing, the other part I don't like, I again, it's totally my image. John's Gospel, when I read it, it almost sounds like it should be uh, narrated by Keanu Reeves in Point Break. And if you haven't seen <laughs> I, that, that movie... I, I um, need you to explain that. I'm I, I aging really myself do. a bit. Um, no, I mean, I understand Point Break yeah. and Keanu Reeves. I'm just trying, like, to, I'm trying to understand kind of why like, you have like that Like the image. hippie surfer dude, you know, talking all this uh, Jesus-y stuff, dude. Like, that's just, again, that's, that's hilarious. It's kind of like the hippie surfer gospel. And I don't think John was a hippie surfer. Um, see, I go the exact opposite direction. I see it as more of a highfalutin kind of. Ah, uh, so so like the professor with the pipe and the 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 jacket with the uh, elbow patches. Well, because originally ah. we we think that's interesting that John's Gospel was written in the style of 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 a Greek tragedy. So you know, to By me, Keanu Reeves. Yeah. Well, I guess yeah. Um, but when you think of Greek tragedy, I don't normally think of surfer dudes. I, I, I'm, I'm thinking, um, <laughs> you know, William Shatner. <laughs> oh, wait, 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 do William I, Shatner? Over, well, I'm trying to think Shakespearean, um, you know, kind of actors, uh, that, that are, that are, you know, maybe even over the top a little bit, but they just, they like to hear themselves talk. And John's gospel is really, really heavy on talking. Like if you look at, if you have one of those red letter versions of yeah. the Bible, John's gospel is like red all over the place. Okay. Are you ready for this? I am ready. Dude, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Uh, he was with God in the beginning. You know what I mean? Like, like I can't help... Like reading it that way, it just 
I don't know, and I'm sorry if I just ruined God, John's gospel for everybody, <laughs> because I may very well have, and... But yeah, I'm that, just trying really hard not to snort because when I laugh really hard, that's what happens. That's and my narrative. I really don't want that Keanu to happen. Keanu Reeves on, on is my, na- my, my internal monologue narrator of John's gospel. And maybe, maybe we need to do a whole podcast on like, who, our, who our narrator is in our head for the different books of the Bible. <laughs> that could be interesting. I have to think about that. Sorry. What were we talking about? Um, symbolism and why yes. you don't like John's gospel, apparently. Yes. Um, and I, and I, so, so again, I, I'm, a Mark, I'm a Mark's gospel kind of guy. Because yeah, Mark just blows. Here it is. I'm gonna, you're going to get it and you just do what you want with it. And it's, it's, it's the shortest gospel. Maybe that's why I like it. But it's, it's, it's just direct and to the point and not a lot of extra. And I feel like John has so much symbolism and so much extra. I just get ugh. Yeah, there there is a lot of extra. Um, and I think if and part of it for me though is I'm I'm a bit of an artist, and I love imagery, and so that's part of what I like about John's Gospel is the the imagery and uh, the the sort of picturey language that gets utilized and so that that that's where I come from with it what what I like about it is I do like the imagery now again I get a little kind of when, when we start getting into the whole farewell discourse that covers multiple chapters it it, it starts getting long I mean and, and yeah. again that's where I, I like I said I see you know sort of some some Shakespearean type of of actor yeah. who likes to hear himself talk a lot Ke- is, so keanu reeves doesn't do shakespeare i mean i am sure he does because he's actually i actually met keanu reeves one time um and and he is actually a really really intelligent nice guy i've heard that yeah i've heard he that really really is um it, it shocks you because you're 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 really sitting there thinking this is going to be ted from bill and ted yeah or there's a bomb on the bus. Yeah, yeah. Something along Movie those lines. Movie speed reference for yeah. those who... And that's just not really who he is in, in real life. And and it's sometimes a shock to you because you're like, oh, wow. No, this isn't... You know, he's actually this really deep thinker kind of individual. Um, and I am sure he's perfectly capable of Shakespearean yeah. drama. Uh, I mean, he did do Dracula. There you go. Kind of. <laughs> Some Bram Stoker. <laughs> Classical. Um, but anyway, kind of getting off the point. Yeah, we, so we have Jesus at the well yeah. in the middle of the day <laughs> meeting a woman. The symbolism of this. Yes, meeting a woman whose reputation is questionable. Right, right. And it's... I actually, so somebody went at my previous call wanted me to do a sermon for a funeral and use this text because it was their mother and their mother had like 13, 14 kids, all from different fathers. And they were like, you know what? We all know this is who she was. We all know this. We would like the, the, this to be the text. And I was like, okay then. I've never had somebody request the woman at the well text for a funeral sermon. But to them, that, they, they, they were like, this is, this is our, you know, our mom. She was, she was a faithful woman, but 
you know, there's this whole questionable background kind of thing going on. So it was kind of refreshing from the standpoint of yeah. it's one of the few funerals where you got to be brutally honest and the family wanted that. Yeah. And so, so there's a lot of freedom in that. Or it's very freeing to be able to do that for the family. Yes. And it also kind of brings up a point that, that Christina and I talked about. You know, so I asked the question of the congregation and I actually, I don't, I don't often preview parts of my sermon for, for my wife. Um, only because she worships here too. So I want her to have as much of the same worship experience as she can as what anybody else does other than the fact that it's listen to her husband ramble more because um, God knows she gets enough of that during the week. I was going to say she doesn't get enough of that at home. I know. Um, so I, I try, I, I very rarely will ask her, <laughs> ask her things or run by things with her uh, lead, right, while writing my you, sermon. Because you, you like to surprise her. Well, I, I want her to have the same right. experience. Um, but this is one of the things I asked. And I asked the congregation, you know, what would you call this woman? You know, given, you know, she's not married, but she's with a dude now. And, well, she's had Shacking five. Up. And she's had five already. Um, and, again, you can kind of hear, like, it drip with um, some, some uh, disdain, so to speak. So, you know, I, I, and I asked her, I said, so how would you refer to this woman? And so we get into a conversation about, um, essentially about what, what they call today slut shaming. Yes. You know, okay, so maybe she did have five husbands. So what? You know, what does that matter? Um, and, and we do have this, this thing in our culture where, again, this is sort of off track, but it's relevant to culture and, and this text, where, you know, if Jesus meets a, meets a guy at the well that's had five wives, I don't know that we necessarily make the same conclusion about him as we do about the woman. Like, that's kind of our culture today. You know, and I, I grew up in that, that masculinity culture. I, I would say it's not just today. I would say it, it's, it's right. a very yeah. long-standing... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the high-five, yo, 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 dude, there's another, another chick. Yeah, rock on. You know, that sort of thing. Um, I think I just ch channeled Keanu Reeves again. Sorry, Keanu. Um, but that whole, that whole idea of what's acceptable for men and what's acceptable for women aren't the same thing um, and is viewed differently. So Christina and I kind of got off that on that topic in a, in a conversation at home. But really the point of, that I was trying to bring out was, you know, how can I label this woman? Because let's face it, you know, there are very few people that read this text and come away from this text and go, Oh yeah, this lady, she's she she's a she's a model of faith. She's someone. So like if you name this woman, if, like if she's not given a name in the text, if she's named this woman and you have this phenomenon where people want to name their 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 offspring after biblical biblical characters. I don't know that the the name of the woman at the well is the one you're going to choose for your daughter. Right? Yep. Based on the perception that we have, because she although in John's Gospel the name probably would be symbolic, and that would probably help us understand more. Ah, that's true. Because but dude you know, doesn't help us out here. No, no, nope, doesn't Keanu help us. Does not help us out. Does here. not does not help us out by giving her a symbolic name. Yeah. Um, and the thing I appreciated you bringing up in the sermon is we don't know the circumstances. Um, women were vulnerable in that day and age, and. Yep. Their, their value and their worth um, tended to be tied to their ability to have children. 
And if she was barren, you know, then yeah, she, she, and, or I mean, maybe she just had really bad luck and, and all the husbands died. I mean, there, that this was the story um, of Tamar in the, uh, in Genesis where she was married to Judah's um, son. He died. Um, so she married the next son. He died. And then he didn't want to marry her to the next son because he was afraid he was going to die too. And so this sets off then this whole how um, basically he was in the wrong. She winds up prostituting herself, getting pregnant by Judah. And, it, you know, and they're going to stone her to death until she reveals, well, Judah's the guy who slept with her. And, yeah. Because he was the one. It's a societal double standard. Yeah. But being, he was the one who was doing the wrong thing, not by sleeping with her, but by not giving her the next son in line. David and Bathsheba. And it's not David's fault. It's Bathsheba. She tried to lure. So again, you know, this was a text that came up in our lectionary and I explicitly, like explicitly made a comment and I don't, I'm not exact, I'm not direct quoting here, but something on the lines of, she was not asking for it. This is not Bathsheba saying, hey, King David, check me out, and luring him in. Like, that's not what this is. And, and I had someone after that sermon, you know, we were talking about that sermon the other night, and, you know, we started talking about whether or not she was trying to lure David. Are you kidding me? Yeah. I mean, that, that story, even more so than, you know, we, we don't get a lot of information about her, her past but the, the David and Bathsheba one, even more so, was, I mean, it starts out from the outset that the time of year was the time he was not even supposed to be home. He right. was supposed to be out fighting wars like all the other kings, and he right. was not. He was at home, lazing around. Um, she was Creep, doing... Creeping on Bathsheba. Creeping on Bathsheba, who it was like late afternoon, you know, sun was going down. Um, she was going out to bathe like she was supposed to, according to the law, because yep. it had to do with her cycle and all that kind of stuff. So she was just doing what she was supposed to do. Yep. And good old David, who wasn't even supposed to be there, sees her and then summons her. And I mean, he, King summons you, you go. I mean, yep. you don't really have a, a choice there. Yep. So whether she was wanting to do this or not is irrelevant because she had no power in right. the situation. So point being in this text, yes. we don't know the woman's circumstances. Nope, we have we, no idea. We know that the guy she's with now is not her husband. We know that she's been married five times. We don't know if you know they left her for whatever reason, which makes no, that that's not necessarily on her. That's not necessarily on her. We don't know if she's infertile, which again, like I said in, on on in my sermon. You know, if you're infertile in that day and age, like you're well, and this even ties back to um, so so the the her her situation in terms of now she's kind of shacking up with some guy kind of ties back to the issue at hand when Jesus talks about and and like Matthew's gospel talks about divorce and 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 one of the comments that that Jesus makes is when you divorce a woman, 
you turn her into an adulteress if she, you know, because she then has to remarry or whatever. The point there being, and we always focus on the wrong point, of course, and we're like, oh, look, she's an adulteress. No, the point there being is you're forcing her into a situation because women had no recourse. They had no real means of supporting themselves. So when you divorce them, you're basically leaving them fairly destitute to to some degree. And their next option is they have to remarry or they have to find somebody that's going to be able to take care of them. Um, so this is this is the situation, and this is what Jesus is talking about when he's getting all upset about, you know, the divorce thing where he's like, you know, when when you just decide you're tired of her, you're you're leaving her out, you know, very vulnerable, yeah. and it it becomes a problem. And a lot of times, what women had to do was turn to prostitution because that was one of the few ways they could make money and survive. The oldest profession. The oldest profession in the world. Yeah. Um, but I'd like to point out there is a prostitute in Jesus's lineage. Who? Rahab. What? Yeah. Was, and we Tamar. Had, we had that text, right? I don't think we had the, the Rahab text. The Rahab is out of Joshua. Oh, yeah. Um, and that, that's the text where they, they um, go yeah. into uh, yeah, yeah. Jericho, and she's the one who gives them that's the, how, she's yeah, the prostitute. That's how the text we yeah. just had. Yeah. You're thinking of Rizpah. Yeah. Another one of those R names. Yeah. I heard the R, the R name. like, oh, oh, no, that's not it. Yes, believe me. People yeah. get R names confused all the time. <clears throat> yeah. I'm, I'm Pastor Rachel to a lot of people. Well, you know. <laughs> Which was really confusing when I actually lived in Kearney, Nebraska, and the campus pastor was Pastor Rachel. So Pastor Rachel, Pastor Rebecca, we were That'd be hard. kind of same age range and yeah, both it. wore glasses. So people, and we both had longish hair. So people Ish. confused us all the time. And we, we both at the time had husbands with the same, uh, same name. Oh, wow. So that really confused people. Okay, that's super people. crazy. Yep, yep. So, so she she got lots of of Pastor Rebecca's, and I got lots lots of Pastor Rachel's. But anyway, that's beside the point. The R names in the Bible um, are apparently interchangeable. Yeah. But but the point being is, um, both Tamar and Rahab are in uh, Jesus's lineage. Yes. And so, I mean just to recognize that. The church has really, really, really... We won't even go into what Ruth was doing on the threshing floor. The church has really, really demonized sex. Like, the reality is, the church has really demonized sex. And we're not going to get into that in this podcast or maybe no. any podcast, but the church has really demonized sex and it's whatever. Um, which, which then leads to... Shame, often cases, and shame almost always for women. Yep. In scripture and, well, in society today. So that, I mean, that's kind of the angle that I eventually got to in the text this week, um, was this idea of, of shame. And I think for me, it's, it's, it's a, as it often is, it's a twofold approach. What does that mean for us as a church? And what does that mean for us individually? Right. So for us as a church, you know, 
the church shouldn't the church should not be in the shame business. No. Like it's not that's not our that shouldn't be it is unfortunately, but it should not be our thing. Our motivating factor and our our shtick should not revolve around shame. Jesus doesn't revolve around shame, so why does the church? Why do we? Well, he does, but in a very different way. Say more. He, 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 he revolves around shame from the standpoint of, you know, and our, our, our whole theme that we're going through is the unraveling. Um, and, and he, so he very much revolves around shame, but he, he revolves around it in, in how he undoes it. Right. Not doling it out. Correct. Yeah. How yeah, yeah. he gives um, validation yeah. and love and acceptance yes. to people who yes. typically. Yes. Are so being I, should, I should clarify my statement and say the church should not be in the doling out of shame business. We shouldn't be dealing in shame and handing shame to people. We should be bringing people in who society shames and say, listen, there's a place for you here. Because over and over and over again, that's what Jesus did. Right. Like, this, it, la- this lady could be super tramp. Like, we don't know. And we don't even know how much, well, Jesus knew, because Jesus knew the whole story. I was gonna say, we don't, Jesus knew. Well, see, the sad part in. is, is that um, society would not shame her if the church didn't. Right. Because, let's face it, I think we're, um, it's it's dwindled over the years, but I still think we're at sixty five percent of the population is is Christian, yeah, or at least claims claims Christianity to some on some level on some identifies. level. So the, the the majority of the population being Christian, and if Christians were not in the business of doling out the shame, it wouldn't be as big of an issue. But because we seem to be yeah. that is why the society then treats that way. So it's really hard to kind of internally say, okay, on the one hand, the church is causing this problem. On the other hand, the church needs to be the solution to the problem. Right, which is why so many um, marginalized people or marginalized communities are like, I'm not going to church. I don't need to go in there to be judged and shamed and everything else. I can get that somewhere else. Like I can get that wherever I go. So for me, the you know the two the twofold for for on this on this you know shame issue is one the church shouldn't be in the business of doling it out because Jesus didn't dole it out, and then the second piece of that is from you know so there's a corporate piece and there's the individual piece. What are we as a church? Well, we as a church should not be in the business of doling out shame because Jesus didn't. And on the individual side is there's all of us have things that we're ashamed that we're that we feel shame about whatever it is whether it's you know, our past, something going on now, something that will happen in the future. You know, we have those things that we're not proud of. Everybody does. So that, so Jesus not doling out, not being in the shame doling out business, but in the grace doling up is we're benefactors of that. And I I almost feel like so often we treat grace so often we treat grace as this precious commodity that, that's going to run out. That, you know, we only, have, we only have this much grace, and if you get something, I can't. And that's, you know, we ha- so we talk about scarcity and abundance when we talk about stewardship a lot. And I think there's this idea that this scarcity and abundance applies to God's grace too. And it doesn't. 
Like you can have grace for the things that you've screwed up in your life. And guess what? I can have grace for the things that I screwed up in my life, and so can they, and so can they, and so can they. Even if they're, even if they're, uh, their uh, indiscretions are worse than mine, you know, they get grace too. Well, and I think part of the problem comes in when, and I, I probably will get in trouble for saying this, um, There's but, grace for that. Uh, yeah. Part of the problem From is God, anyway. you get you, you, you get in the Gospels Jesus breaking down all these, these barriers. But then you start reading the Pauline and the pastoral epistles, and you start getting into, well, only these people can be leaders, you know, that live these upstanding lives, blah, 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 blah. And I get it because for Paul... It was about good order. It was about putting the best face of the church. Which out we're there. still really, really hung up on, the whole idea of good order and yeah. But that was that was his 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 focus was we we need to live these lives that are so blameless that when people see us, you know, they can't accuse us of anything. And unfortunately that has now translated to therefore we don't welcome in anybody who has any of these issues because of sort of the early church very early on kind of going back to their more, what I would call, I guess, pietistic roots um, yeah. of Judaism yeah. that, that, you know, that comes out of the, the purity and, and, and all of that. And on the one hand, I think Paul, as a former Pharisee, is struggling with how how that all fits in and 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 to be honest you know we kind of talked about this a little little bit last week when we were discussing Paul and his conversion and all that and and the amount of change that he had to go through and recognizing that you know he probably was still clinging to some stuff that I don't know that he completely let go of and Hmm. you know that's true is, it's it's hard. I mean, I mean, it's a completely kind of different way of living, and who you accept, who you don't accept. And on the one hand, he's sitting there trying to to break down the the, the barriers between okay, Jew, Greek, male, female, blah 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 blah. You know, all this stuff. So it's an awful lot to ask of a singular individual to who isn't Jesus. <laughs> That's a huge distinction for me. Paul is not Jesus. Paul is we're not Christians. Jesus. We're not Paulinians. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I as Paul said, were you baptized in my name? You were not. Right. And so why do we put more weight on Paul than what we, than what we put on Jesus? Like that's. And, I, and, and I get it with the early church in terms of uh, there, there was this, they were already being, you know, demonized and whatever by, by their culture for, for being Christian. Yeah. Um, and so for them, it was, we have to live this way. We have to be perfect in, you know, as perfect as you can be in how we, how we behave and how we do things. Um, and, and not saying that there aren't, um, definitely certain standards that we have in terms, especially in leadership of, of there are things we need to model. There are things we need to, um, say, no, it's not okay for us to do this. Um, especially when it turns abusive. Agreed completely. 
you know, agree completely. And, and, and to recognize, yes, there's grace, there's forgiveness, but that doesn't mean that there aren't consequences Correct. for, for doing things that are harmful. Correct. Um, and you know, just trying to decide what, what harmful behaviors are and that kind of stuff. Yeah. But, I, but, for, I, but for, 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 for the people in the pews, correct. Like we, again, I think, I think the church is, is church with a capital C. Um, you know, it just gets into that, that shame business and doling out shame. And, yeah. and, and we look at people when they come in the door and we make judgments and decide whether they, they really fit here or not. And I'm not saying about this congregation, you know, I'm, I'm not like, Oh, Emmanuel Lutheran, we've got, you know, these problems. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is the church as a whole, it's historically had this problem of um, who's in and who's out and deciding just even sometimes based on how somebody looks, whether or not they're, they fit or they belong. I remember one time, not here, um, someone coming up to me and going, so our little friend who doesn't belong is here again. And I remember looking at this person and saying, I'm sorry, who doesn't belong here? Well, you know what I mean. And, you know, I was just like, this is the exact opposite of what we're supposed to be as church when we start saying, this person who doesn't belong. And what's, what's that saying? Every time you point the finger at someone, there's three pointing back at you. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I share, I shared a couple of examples, you know, in my sermon and two of them were like direct quotes. There's other, you know, examples that are, that I haven't had direct experience with that I used in my sermon, but one of them, we had a homeless person show up at, at my home congregation and instead of, on a Sunday morning, instead of inviting them to stay for worship, we quickly ushered them out and gave them directions to go somewhere else. Um, never an invitation to go to church. Well, you know, they, 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 they weren't dressed for church and they didn't smell good. Well, uh, okay. I, I can and, guarantee the early church didn't smell awesome. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I guarantee it. And then the other one was, you know, when, when I got to my, my first call, there were essentially no, very few youth in our congregation. Um, and just for reference, uh, my ordination, I believe, was on August, I can't believe I don't remember this, um, August 15th or 14th. Quinn was born August 22nd. So like a week after my ordination, Quinn was born which would have made Anna not quite two. Um, so they literally grew up in that church and had someone make an appointment to talk to me, came into my office and said that the kids were, kids. they find kids to be disruptive in worship and they should not be in the sanctuary um, because they were disruptive. And I mean, it was kind of obvious whose kids they were talking about. They were the only ones there. Um, and, and, and I, 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 so I think that everybody has a, everybody has, everybody should have the ability to be in a worship, in a worship space. Um, unfortunately, not ever, not everybody worships the same. 
And I did reference this in my sermon as well. You know, some people, you know, for them, they want, and I'll call it sterile, um, a sterile worship environment, very meditative, where there is no outside noise. So like a, uh, a fire truck, we get this a lot. You know, a or on a busy street, a fire truck or first response vehicle going by the church during worship, with the sirens going off, would be like devastating to their worship experience. For some people, that's what they need for worship. And I feel horrible that you know, I, on one level, I felt bad that my kids were you know quote ruining their worship experience. But on the other hand, I also knew that if my kids didn't grow up in a worship in a worship setting, they would never learn how to be in worship. You know, they learn, you know, our young people learn how to be in worship by being in worship. And, you know, it's not always pretty and it's not always quiet. Some of our families here, they have that same anxiety that my wife had, who essentially on Sunday mornings was a single parent. You know, I wasn't exactly helping with the kids during a worship service. Um, there was once when I kind of held Anna and carried her out of the worship service because she wanted to hang out with daddy at the end of the worship service, whatever. Um, but generally speaking, you know, she was a single parent. So my, my pushback to the congregation was, well, if this is problematic for you all, then why doesn't somebody help with kids? Yeah. Uh, that, I always love the people that want to come and, and they're upset about something, but then when we say, well, how about if, you know, you, you work on solving this problem or solving this, you know, issue. And uh, well, no, they're not interested in doing that necessarily. But um, yeah, it's just, it, it, the, the whole who's in and who's out thing, I guess, has become, for me, one of the, the more problematic parts of the church. Um, and, and the sad part is, is that it's, it's not new. I mean, this was what Jesus was addressing. Yeah regarding his own faith, which, you know, he was Jewish. And so his own faith, the, the, the whole notion of who's in and who's out. And from, and from a leadership standpoint, it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't. So if you never talk about it, um, how does it get addressed? And if you do talk about it, you know, there's a level of appeal. Like, well, well I don't, I don't want to hear about that. I don't I don't want to talk about that. And, and, and maybe because for some, they don't feel it's necessary um, because it's not an issue for them. Or maybe they don't feel it's necessary because they don't want, you know, quote, those people, whatever that, whatever that is for each person, to be part of their worship experience. Which, again, if that's how you feel, it's fine. Just recognize it doesn't reflect the kingdom of God. It just doesn't. I mean, and I, I wonder... You know, for 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 the pe- I was gonna say those people for the people that <laughs> for for the pe- I hate you know those let's, people let's, is let's be careful yeah. now. So so oh. for the people who have those struggles with who's in and who's out, you know, I I feel I feel really bad for them because I think they're in for such a rude awakening when they get to the kingdom of God and realize that the people they're those people. Um, dripping with sarcasm are going to be the people that are there. They're sharing the kingdom of God with. Yep. Like that's the reality. But somehow we think that um, our attitudes and whatever are going to be completely different and we'll be okay with it or something. I, I mean, I don't, it's just my impression of how we view sort of the, the 
you know, it's the afterlife. We're going to be changed. And so I won't have those attitudes. I won't have those kinds of things. So it won't be an issue and it'll all be fine. And we seem to just accept that that's, that's how it's going to be. Um, and, you know, well, I don't know. I, I struggle to some degree with how our lives here are supposed to reflect what the kingdom of God is like. That's where I was going to go. So we is, have this, we have this idea. now and the not yet. Yeah. That, and we're so worried about the, well, that, well, when I die. Well, I, again, I, I don't know how to, I don't know how to say this. I don't know how to be more clear. I don't know how to be more blunt, but the gospel isn't about what happens after you die. It's not what happens after you die. The point of the gospel, the point of Jesus, the point of the cross isn't you go, to the, go through the pearly gates when, when you die. Like That's not the point of the gospel. The gospel is very much uh, a how, we're, how we're to engage our faith in our daily lives with those around us. Right. I mean, period. Yes, the resurrection is, you know, a part of that promise. It is part of the gospel. It is, you know, the the resurrection to new life, et cetera. Um, So I don't want... And okay, people, so I, I don't o- want people walking away going, wait a minute, they don't believe in resurrection. No, 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 So no. I overstated that a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I did. There's I did. there's just to kind of bring that back in just a little bit. Blow you know? the whistle, call the foul on Pastor Chad. <laughs> That's is, correct. Is there is is there is still the the promise of the resurrection. But what I've always found very interesting now, a lot of our resurrection imagery of like what happens in life after death, of course. Because you had to do it, you, you uh, had to go there, and you had to bring blah blah blah. You had to bring <laughs> you had to bring it up. But a lot of our imagery of what that's going to be comes from Revelation. Well, guess where Revelation gets that imagery from? I don't know. The Old Testament. <gasps> it is the. All of those images that Revelation pulls in are just sort of a who's who of Old Testament scriptures and is bringing in all these promises that God makes regarding how he wanted the people of Israel to live. And whenever the prophets were like, if you do this, this is going to happen. But if you do this, this is what it could be like. And so he... You know, the, the, the Old Testament is not looking at it necessarily as a life after death issue. They're looking at it, this is the way God wants it to be, right. period. Right. Um, even in the here and now. And it's like, stop doing things like this. And this could be, you know, how you live. And it would be good. And it would be wonderful. But you keep going this way. You keep doing things like this. So we have made it all about, well, the only possible way for us to ever achieve God's vision, um, which we can never achieve on our own, has to have the the help of God, is that it is something that is in the afterlife. Because we cannot conceive of it in this life because we know how human beings are. Because we, we know what we're like. We we understand, and and maybe that's part of it. Maybe other people are are quicker than I am, and I'm just not sharp enough because I haven't given up on that idea yet. Right? 
I haven't either, but I, I, I but know where I know where yeah. the quote the despair of yeah 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 and and, and hoping I, for that comes yeah from. and and I I feel that despair trust me I feel that despair, but I guess I and and that actually is going to be a nice segue into the text for next week yeah doubting Thomas which, doubting Thomas and his despair right and and what a lousy name for again so we we give him that label yeah we give him you know so we give the Samaritan woman the label of uh on a pocket we'll give we'll give the Samaritan label the label of whore I mean let's be honest um that's Harland. what that's how most people you know will label her and we give Thomas a label of doubter doubting Thomas um and it's actually one of my favorite texts. You know, I, I should really get a dollar every time I say it's one of my favorite texts. Um, but I, I do, I do really. <laughs> How many of those do you have? I don't know. It's a lot. Um, I, I really do appreciate. I, I think I like the text because of what the text, how the text is labeled. And then the reality of the text. So I really, I really intrigued and drawn into those texts that you know, we label or, or, or think are about one thing. And when you really dig into them, I'm fascinated by the fact that, man, we got that wrong for a long time. You know, Doubting Thomas really, again, not going to give away the sermon. That's your sermon next week. But, you know, you get into it, so, oh, wait a minute. There's so much more to this than, you know, is it really Doubting Thomas? Again, don't want to give it away, but um, it, it's, those are the things that fascinate me in Scripture. Uh, you know, where we have this label, Again, to wrap up this week's text, the label was this woman was a whore. And meeting Jesus at the well when she did was all, all, all leading everyone to that label of, of who this woman is because of her past. And yet Jesus is like, gives her this invitation to living water and eternal life. And, you know, we label her as this awful person. Um, and yet she leaves this encounter with Jesus, hightails it back to town and says, I met the Messiah. As one of the one one of the first evangelists who goes yeah. out and yep. and yep. tells everybody about her encounter with Jesus. Which brings us um actually to a really good stopping point because like I said, we're ready to then kind of segue into the 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 Thomas text, which is going to be next week. So we hope you join us for our podcast uh next week that will be on that particular topic. So Thank you for joining us, and we will talk to you next week. In the meantime, you can catch some Point Break with Keanu Reeves uh, just for some sermon references. I have not watched that movie for a long time, so I have no idea if the content is appropriate in any way, shape, or form, other than Keanu Reeves is a surfer dude. Anyway, have a great week. We'll see you. Bye. Bye.